we have some time together then now to unpack this. It's a brand new um, series, morning series on Galatians. If you've got your Bibles, it would be really good to have them. Have them open to Galatians. Don't worry if you don't. Um, we're going to go through it. I'm kind of, can we bring up the PowerPoint? I don't know why, but I'm just excited about this series. Something in me is really excited. I think God's going to speak to us through it. Um, I also think, before I get to this bit, God's speaking this morning, um, and we'll be wanting to, to folks here. It's just all been in about our eyes again turning to Jesus and getting our hearts right with him. If he's been speaking to you, um, don't miss that. Don't ignore that. Continue to listen, each one of us, as, as the Lord will be wanting to teach us and speak to us. But don't you love the feeling? Look, look at this. Galatians, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith, grace and freedom. We're going to unpack that over the next um, term in our series. But don't you love it, uh, the feeling when something's brand new? I do. I really like something brand new. There is nothing better for me than that moment when you open a brand new can of Coke. I'm going to put this here. you ready for this noise? Oh. <laughs> and then that first... Mm. Mm. that first sip oh dear that was a bad idea I'm going to burp now all the way through this my wife did warn me I was like I'll be fine I won't be fine okay swallow it down Um, but that first sip of ice cold coke is absolutely wonderful it's not so great is it later on when you've left it half the day and it's the cans of it squeezed and greasy and there's a little warm bit in the bottom and it just tastes gross but the first one, it's all fresh and new. What about a first cup uh, or a first moment where you open that pot of coffee? You know that seal on the top? And you get your spoon, you go, and all oh, the lovely aroma comes out. Or what about when you have a brand new box of chocolates, you know? And you open it and there they all sit absolutely perfectly, ready to be devoured. Not quite so good. A couple of weeks later when you realise that, or even a week later, you realise you're just left with all the disgusting ones on the top. You think, well, I'll go for the second layer. You pick it up and find that someone's already been down there. And all the good ones, in my opinion, the strawberry creams, have all gone already. I'm not hearing that they're the worst. They are the best. We're not debating that this morning. Strawberry creams, orange creams, coffee creams, yes, please. You can keep the nutty ones. I'm not interested in those. Um... But you get, when something's new, you get the joy and the excitement, the expectation of things to come. And this brand new sermon series, I just have a sense of expectation. So let's come with expectation, not just this morning, but to this, these morning services when we're going to unpack this letter um, by Paul to the church in Galatia. Of course, because this was once a brand new letter. To, it wasn't, wasn't the Bible. It was a letter to these churches in Galatia, sent from their beloved Paul for them to hear. And you can imagine Paul sitting down with a scribe, writing a fresh, brand new letter. And you can imagine the Galatian church gathering round to hear what is being written, breaking the seal and unrolling this brand new letter from their beloved Paul. What does it say? What are the wonderful things that are going to be inside this letter? And one of the things they could definitely expect would be some warm encouragement, some good news and some love, you know, written down for them from their 
beloved Paul, because that's what Paul did when he wrote letters. He followed ancient Near Eastern customs um, and the politeness of Eastern customs at the time, and he would always start his letters in the same way. If he was writing to us, I assume he would do the same. He would start with who it's from. I, Paul, an apostle or a servant, he would call himself, of Jesus by the will of God. And then he would say, and whoever's with me, and Timothy, who's with me. Um, And then he would say who it's to, but in a really lovely way. To the wonderful saints and beloved folk of Creech St. Michael Baptist Church, he'd say. And we'd be like, oh, that's nice, isn't it? That's nice. And then he'd give his Pauline trademark first greeting. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he'd kick off with some wonderful, positive thanksgiving and praise. It's what he always did. You can check it out in Ephesians or Philippians or Corinthians and Corinthians. Check out Paul's letters. This is what he did. Praise to the Lord Jesus Christ for what he's doing amongst you. I've heard such wonderful things. Or praise to Jesus for what he did and who he is. And then after all of that loveliness, he would get on to, now, about the matters of concern, let me teach you, my friends, what needs to happen. And so these churches would have gathered round in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, and they would have gathered round to open this letter and have it read to them. I wonder if he's heard how well we're doing, how seriously we're taking this God stuff, how good we're getting on. But as they opened it, they would have immediately realised this was not quite the letter they'd hoped for. Within the very first sentence, they must have realised that something was clearly wrong. Paul was deeply unhappy with them. He starts, Paul, an apostle. But then he immediately goes on to defend his authority. Sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. And next up should have come the wonderful, encouraging addressing of the saints. Instead, he just goes to the churches in Galatia. Silence, nothing more. Not to my beloved friends, to the saints, to the churches in Galatia. And now comes his customary greeting, which he doesn't miss out. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he immediately, in an unprecedented way, he doesn't do it in any of his other letters like this, expounds and raises up the glory of Jesus and what he's achieved once again. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. That glory is to Jesus. And now should come the thanksgiving. I thank him for you. But instead, Paul delivers an extraordinary rebuke. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Gosh, Paul is not happy here. His unprecedented defence of his authority and his calling, his immediate focus on the elevation of Jesus and what he achieved, his rescuing of us, and then his direct rebuke would have told the Galatians that this was not a letter saying all is well, but a passionate correction. All is not well. I cannot believe you're already off course, he says. 
I'm astounded. Urgent, passionate, direct. What has happened to you? What's happened? So what had happened to the Galatians? This first um, sermon in the series, I'm going to just give you the background and then just three little thoughts from this first bit. But we need to understand the background to understand this whole letter from Paul. My guess is that it was, firstly, so, you know, a shock to them. I don't think they were expecting this style of letter. You see, Paul was not their enemy, all right? He was their friend. He was beloved by them. Why? Because he was the one who told them about Jesus in the first place. He planted these churches. And yes, look at this. I have a map. When I told Bexis, he said, oh, Lance used to use maps. Those of you remember Lance, here's a Lance map for you. Quite exciting. Here you go. I got a little pointer as well. But I just want to show you where we're talking about. It was on his first mission trip. So Paul set off with Barnabas from Antioch up here. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so Israel down here. Antioch up here. And he set off across here into this region here. Went through Cyprus and then up into this region, which at the time was called Galatia. It's modern day Turkey. Look. Over here you've got Crete and Greece, and this is modern-day Turkey. And he went up here to all the different places. So we've got Antioch in, let me, let me read my writing, because I can't read that there. We've got Pisidian Antioch, we've got Iconium, which is here, we've got uh, Lystra, and we've got Darbe, which is just here. And these were the four major churches that he and Barnabas planted. And what he would do is... He would go into each town and he would find, this was his first missionary uh, journey, so this is 15 years since Paul has met Jesus on the road to Damascus. It took 15 years before he went on one of these big journeys and this is the one. And he would go into the town and he would find the Jews there. He would go to the synagogue and he would tell them the good news that Jesus was the Messiah they had been waiting for. He was the fulfilment of the law and now forgiveness was in him, not in the law. And Although some would believe, in almost every case, the religious followers of of the law were furious with him. Furious with him and Barnabas. We've heard these stories, and you can read about them in Acts 13, 14. And they would stone him, or throw him out, or beat him up, or get rid of him, get him out of their town. They were outraged. This was a huge attack on their fundamental belief that it was through the keeping of the law you pleased God. It was through the keeping of the law that you could be considered just and righteous. And they would force him and Barnabas out. But Paul would then go and speak to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. And what would happen is he'd tell them about the freedom in Jesus, the forgiveness in Jesus. And they turned and converted in their droves. Hundreds would come to faith in each place. I don't know, it just says many, many, many believed. And in each place this happened. And on the way back, instead of just whipping back the short way, down here to Antioch, Barnabas and Paul went all the way back around and visited them all again and established the churches and appointed elders over them and encouraged them to stay in the faith of the gospel, to keep going with Jesus, and he would entrust them to the Lord. You can't imagine how exciting that must have been, that early missionary journey. We're talking about the BMS. Here's the BMS 2,000 years ago. Just, I can't claim Paul was a Baptist. That's a bit much, isn't it? But... Um, I'm sure he would have been. <laughs> no, I'm not. Let's ignore that. Um, 
Yeah, he would. He would. Um, but that's what he did. And then he came back and told them, look, guys, this is amazing. All the churches are fantastic. So these churches were Paul's beloved offspring. So what on earth had happened to the Galatians, this, these churches in this region called Galatia, for Paul to now be so upset? They had received the gospel with such passion and eagerness. Why was Paul now berating them just a few years later? Well, sadly, news had clearly come to Paul that they'd already been led astray by false teachers. You see, originally, Christianity was an offshoot, or a sect, if you like, at that point, we could have said, within Judaism. And this issue of the law kept coming up. And this was the major tussle at the time. Should those who are not Jews keep the law? Should those who are not Jews become Jews first to become a Christian? Should they follow all of the law? And should they have the mark of those who follow the law, which is circumcision? Should that be what they do? And for many people passionately, that is exactly what they should have done. And for others, like Paul, that is not the gospel. That is not the freedom of Christ. And eventually, this was settled in Acts 15, a council in Jerusalem, where they eventually declared, no, it is through Jesus Christ alone that we are saved. Do not burden non-Jews with the law. Do not burden the Gentiles with the law. The problem was, as I said, not everybody agreed. And these folks that are called Judaizers came to try and preach the law and circumcision to the early churches, to the vulnerable churches, and do you know what? They came with their, with their good-sounding godliness and the churches in Galatia went for it. The laws, the rituals, circumcision fell for the lot of it, hook, line and sinker. And this broke Paul's heart. It tore him to shreds. And so he picks up the pen and he writes this letter. And we're going to explore the incredible teaching of this letter over the next few weeks and months as the term goes on. There is so much here. This was the letter that was at the heart of the Reformation. It is so clear um, what's going on here. The gospel of Jesus in this letter is just so amazing. I commend you to go and read it this afternoon or this week from start to finish. It will not take long. But I just want to give us, and I don't have time to do this justice this morning, so I'm going to have to leg it through this. Give us three little reflections on why Paul was so upset about this decision that they made. What was it that made him so passionate? Well, the first thing, friends, is that this wasn't just a theological change for the Galatians. This wasn't just a change of emphasis on how to do church. This was a personal rejection of Jesus. As Paul starts his letter with one of the best mini gospel presentations in the Bible, Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and again he says, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. This is the good news. The gospel literally means good news in a nutshell. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he's done. It's about having faith in the one who, even though he did no wrong, died for you and died for me to take all of our wrong. All of the failings and mess and pride and willful wrongdoing that every single one of us has done. Our salvation is his doing, not mine, not yours. 
It's his doing, Jesus is doing, his will, his choice, his grace, his cost. And we are stuck without him completely. Not a single one of us are good enough to be worthy of heaven, to be worthy of standing in the presence of the holy God. Not a single one of us. But God did this so that we might be considered worthy in Jesus, so that we might be rescued from all the human strivings and mess and muck that we get ourselves in and have a relationship with Father God through Jesus Christ, his Son. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of faith, grace and freedom. We're going to unpack it these coming months. It's not earned, it's not deserved, it's outrageously unfair, but it's God's amazing way. No wonder, he says, glory be to Jesus forever and ever. But you know the Galatians have chucked it in. And in chucking it in, this belief, Paul makes it clear they've actually chucked him in. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, and he says, which is no gospel at all. I'm astounded. It's incomprehensible to me, Galatians, that you would not just reject a belief, but you would reject Jesus, the one who's called you by his grace. You see, this rejection is personal. Any other gospel of seeking to earn God's favour and forgiveness is the same as saying what Jesus did. Well, it was nice, but it doesn't matter fully. It was good, but I preferred the old ways, or I'll add a bit to it. What Jesus did was, yeah, we should like it and respect it, but it was not quite enough for me. It's nice that the Father sent his son to die, but it wasn't necessary. It wasn't a thing they'd rejected. It was Jesus. A personal relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. There is no other way. They had Jesus, and now they have religion. We'll unpack this more, but not this morning. Suffice to say this, friends, when we move away from grace, undeserved favour of God, all won by him, not by us, we move away from Jesus. What a thing, eh? When the church in history moves away from grace, it moves away from Jesus. What a challenge. Hey, let me speed through. The second thing he was so upset and passionate about was that they're not moving from one bit of good news to another bit of good news. He goes, yeah, well, that's nice too. But they're turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all, he says. In fact, they're embracing human folly. What a great picture that is. I have no idea what that is, but human folly captured in a picture, right? The thing they're turning to is utter folly. Instead of saying, we got most of it right, you still like Jesus, but you just kind of you know, added a bit of reliance on the law and a, you know, a little bit of relying on circumcision as well. No, he turns around and he says, this is no gospel at all. And he says, evidently people have been throwing you into confusion. They're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. These are the Judaizers that we spoke of earlier. They've come with persuasion, with authority, with excellence, with reasonable arguments for a more godly approach of following Jesus. This is what godly Christians should clearly do. But Paul says, no, this is a perversion. It's a distortion. It's a rejection of the grace of Jesus. These people are throwing you into perversion, or into confusion, Paul says, Confusion of mind, which of course is the very opposite of what Jesus brings us, which is peace of heart. Confusion of mind versus peace of heart. And they're loading the Galatians on with burdens that they cannot bear. It was the thing that Jesus was most frustrated with about the Pharisees. You heap the people up with burdens, and they can't bear it. 
They're the burdens that Jesus came to set us free from. But now they turn their back on that and put the burdens back on. Why? Why would they do this? And I don't have time to do this justice, but think about this for a moment. Firstly, they probably did it because sometimes the pride in all of us is looking for something we can claim a bigger part in. I want to have my bit, please. Surely I have to do lots of stuff to earn my place, because then I feel better about it, if it's really worth getting at all. You know, surely I should be allowed to be proud of my religious efforts and achievements when God finally accepts me into heaven because of all that I've done. (laughs) You see, it all comes down to our constant desire as humans to be like God himself. It's the great original sin of Adam and Eve. We can be like God. It's the sin and the sin and the sin of generation after generation. We can be proud. We can become great. We can achieve such wonderful things. Aren't we clever? Haven't we played our part? Aren't we to be celebrated for our achievement? Yet the gospel calls you and I to just lay this boasting aside. Lay it aside. There is no room for it whatsoever. All we can say as Christians is that Jesus did it all. And I just accepted his free gift. Wow. And even that, Paul says, oh, by the way, that faith, that's a gift from God too. I love it. Leaves not even an inch. No, no, he didn't even do the believing. Oh, what? No. And secondly, they may have enthusiastically grabbed at these religious rules and laws because the gospel without them perhaps seems too weak. It almost seems foolish to a clever person. This can't be how it is. It must be more complicated. You can't just earn something by believing and trusting in someone. It sounds like a fairy tale, like a kid's story. No, we need duties we can tick off. We need rules we can follow. Now we're talking. Now we can be forgiven and made worthy. The trouble is, the gospel of Jesus doesn't ask for that. The only way of being forgiven and being declared worthy is by trusting in what he's done. Believing in him. Believing in the man who was God. Perfect in every way, but who came and spat at and mocked, humiliated, crucified. Believing that he rose from the dead. Believing that he did that for you and me believing that he's alive today and pours out his spirit on those who trust in him, believing that he did it, not us. No smart-thinking person is going to come up with a gospel like that. It's foolish. It's not how life works. We don't get something for nothing. We know best, don't we? inherent arrogance to humanity which has never gone away. I was watching a bit of Bible teaching on YouTube and the next, you know, the next video starts automatically when you're watching these things? And it was like the antithesis, like YouTube was trying to challenge me. You just listened to some Christian teaching. Now I'm going to give you some anti-Christian teaching. Oh, what's this? And there was some professor sat there and he was like, it was basically called why religion is, um, or Christian thinking is, 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 uh, useless in the 21st century or something. I was like, okay. And basically sat there, within the first minute, he turns around and goes, you know what, you know, this ancient wisdom, it's just so old now, we know so much better, we've got all our science, we can understand that this wisdom, quote-unquote, is no wisdom at all, he said. I'm like, wow, nothing's ever changed, does it? Nothing's ever changed. It's one of the great traps of being human being, being arrogant and believing we know all the answers when we don't. Do you know, for centuries... I love this one. Literally centuries. Um, we couldn't work out how on earth bumblebees fly. Just think about that for a moment. And yeah, we still don't. We still don't. Um, 200 years ago, uh, a great French entomologist turned around and declared 
It is impossible. They cannot fly. Of course they can fly, but we just couldn't work it out. Can you imagine if they'd become extinct and all we knew was just like a preserved example in a case and the testimonies of the ancients who said, oh, and I was lying on the grass and the bumblebees were flying above our heads. And we'd go, don't be stupid. We know they can't fly. You silly ancient person, we know better than you. It wasn't until 2005 that we worked out some of it with slow motion cameras. And it's complicated. I'm not even going to go there, but we haven't got it all worked out. Now, I'm not against science. I love science. I love discovery. I think the more we find out about the planet and life and medicine and space, it's extraordinary. We don't need to be frightened of this stuff. It's amazing. But we need to be careful when the arrogance steps in, the arrogance of modern man that says, actually, we've got it sorted. And there's ancient wisdom. There was no wisdom at all. It's the same arrogance of those teachers that rejected the gospel of Jesus. It all seemed too simple, too foolish in their minds. I mean, why would you give it to the undeserving, to the weak, to the pathetic? Why would you make yourself look so foolish, God? Why would you become humiliated by humanity? No one's going to come up with that plan. That's foolishness. Even the great angels of heaven would never dare suggest such a foolish plan. But this wasn't a gospel from angels, it wasn't a gospel from men. As Paul made clear at the beginning, it's Jesus who sent me, not men. This is his gospel, not mine. And he would later write that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Ha! We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. By rejecting the gospel of faith and grace and freedom, the Galatians were embracing the folly of men, which is no gospel at all. I just want to ask you this morning, have you slipped? Have you slipped away from the simplicity and the wonder and the beauty of the gospel? That foolish, foolish gospel of ours. The foolishness in our eyes that is actually the wisdom of God. That it's about Jesus. Has it become too complicated for you? Come back to the simplicity of it. Or have you never taken that step because you think, you know what, this is too foolish for me. It doesn't make sense. There's got to be more. Do you know what? There isn't more. It's Jesus. It's the most complicated and wonderful thing to unpack. You'll spend a lifetime unpacking the gospel. But even a child can understand the simplicity of it. Wow. Do you know what? He loves you. He came. He got you out of a mess that you couldn't get yourself out of. And he gives it to you for free. Yes, he asks you, do you know what? Give me everything a big cost. But when you do, you realise that you gain more back from him. Life in all its fullness. That's the gospel. Even a child can understand it. And I'll finish with this. Sorry, guys, to push the time. But Paul is so upset because, do you know what? This is a matter of the highest importance. The Galatians have personally rejected Jesus It embraced the folly of men. But this couldn't be a matter of more importance to Paul. He turns around and says this this language he uses. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Let them be cursed. And he says, I say it again, anyone preaches different. Let them be cursed. He uses a Greek word anathema here. It is an outrageous thing to say. It is the strongest thing Paul could have said. He, in no other place in his letters, ever uses language language so strong. 
it would have got a gasp when it was read. Let them be eternally damned. Even if it's an angel, a holy angel of God, let them be cursed, Paul says. Am I now trying to win the approval of man? He says, no. No, I'm not. He was probably accused of that at some point. No, this is about Jesus. And he says, look, if I was trying to win men's approval, I wouldn't be a servant of the crucified Jesus, would I? No, I'm not going to win smart people's approval or so-called smart approval by saying I'm a servant of Jesus, the crucified one. The time of softly, softly has gone. Paul speaks with the strongest language ever because this is the matter of the highest importance. In fact, there's nothing more important. I wonder if you've realised, have you realised that there is no matter of greater importance than your understanding and belief in the gospel of Jesus? good news which seems such foolishness to many but for those who believe leads to life in all its fullness believing in Jesus believing in the cross what he did his death his resurrection accepting him as your Lord your saviour and your friend is the single most important thing anyone in this life can do but don't believe it because I've told you don't believe it because you and said or Mig said or we've said or your family like it or you think you should do it. Believe it because it's God's gospel. It's his good news. It doesn't come from men. It comes from him. The gospel of faith and grace and freedom. Shall we pray together? Loving Jesus, I want to add to my words now but I pray that you would speak by your spirit into each heart here this morning and speak the words that we need to hear. Bring people to the simplicity of your love and the gospel again this morning, I pray. Remind us again of what you did or show us for the first time. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.